Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. The Scottish Government talk about transparency. So let's be transparent. What COVID has done is give us a good chance to look at how we actually work. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host for this morning's show as we talk budgets and recovery and catch up with the boss of the Arnold Clark Group. And in the boardroom, Tom and Willie answer your calls and provide business insight and advice. You can get in touch by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. So gentlemen, UK budget's been unveiled with great fanfare. Was it style over substance or a blueprint for recovery? Tom? Well, I really liked it, to be perfectly honest with you. I think um, Rishi Sunak, I mean, remember he was only in the job this time last year. What a baptism of fire, Willie. But he has come from the real world of finance. He actually worked for a friend of mine who's one of the... um, best hedge fund managers in the world so and he's a very tough guy to work for so um, he's had he's had a good apprenticeship I would say so a balancing act as ever what did I like about it well sustaining businesses who have been told to close viable businesses we talk about it all the time so I like the furlough extension I like the fact that there's 600,000 new self-employed people getting helped I like fat for the hospitality industry going to 5% and then 12.5% for six months. The rates relief, now credit where credit's due, Kate Forbes has been more generous than Dishy Rishi. So well done, Kate Forbes. Um, and a wee note I was reading was that in talent, so in growing businesses, the number one thing is the attraction and retention of talent. And because of Brexit, that has been harder to bring people from overseas. And there is something in this budget, a new visa scheme, so that employers can source talent to help their businesses, especially growing tech businesses. So I liked all that. Tax, yeah, of of course we've got to pay for it somehow. And corporation tax is going up, but not until 2023. And most importantly for small businesses, there's about one and a half million small businesses going to be excluded from this increase. They will still pay 19%. And as you go up, it's tapered to businesses paying, um, who are making over 250000 in tax, will pay the new rate. So I liked all that. Crikey, praise for politicians. Willie, how did you feel about the budget? Well, um, <clears throat> as a Labour peer, I would have to say that um, it looks kind of clever. Okay, and what they've done is, and, and, and what I'm impressed by is, it looks as if a lot of thought has went into it. 
Okay, so there's some where you could say this is a positive, it's a negative. But a couple of the things that I've heard this morning, which I find incredible, this is the first time there's been an increase in tax for nearly 40 years. Right? And when we do get back up to 25%, that'll be the highest level since the 60s. Right? Which is incredible, absolutely incredible, since Harold Wilson's time. I think there is a lot of pluses in the in the budget, uh, there's a few negatives, but to be fair, that you know, there are not any that would have you gasping. Um, but what I, where I would definitely have liked them to have done more is, I would love to have seen a way there was a big big encouragement here to employ young people, right, to get the economy going. And I think that the chancellor may point to two or three things where he will say that helps. I think it was a. Uh, Ingenious to keep the furlough going even beyond the you know the date for everyone getting back to work, um, but I just don't understand why we couldn't send a huge incentive out there to business by saying right, you know, on apprenticeships we'll give you a hundred percent tax deduction on apprenticeships. Here, here. So you're not impressed with the £3,000 extra, you know, the incentive has been increased to £3,000, doesn't go far enough? It's not that. If you take it against then the apprenticeship levy, which every organisation, every union, every company uh, in Britain thinks was a bad idea. So I would certainly like the Chancellor in the next budget to look at a, a connectivity across the whole spectrum of apprenticeships and certainly the apprenticeship levy is, was one of the worst ideas ever. And that is the opposite of what I said about a clever budget and taking your time to get it right. That was all done in the back of a fag packet in half an hour, right? And so I'd love, I'd just like them to, and also, to be fair, I'd like to see more, Tom, where, you know, there was a more emphasis on EIS, entrepreneurial, you know, investment, you no know, tax relief for putting money back in. Encourage guys like me and him to make any money that we make to plough it back in and, and, yeah. and keep growing. I mean, there was, Willie, I mean, you know far more about apprenticeships than I do. You know, coming to Scotland through the Barnet Consequentials is about £1.2 mm -hmm. And then the Scottish government decide how to allocate it. And it's different, Willie. Yeah. Is is it different apprenticeships in England to Scotland? I, I don't know. Well, what happens is when I know for a fact, because I was involved in this, when the the Chancellor um, announced, I think it was George Osborne announced the the, um, the apprenticeship levy. So right away, the Scottish office were jumping up and down saying, good, what's in this for us? Right, and they're saying, well, here's your bit here. But but let me, let me for you guys, maybe for the listeners who don't know, on the face of it, the apprenticeship levy looks like a good thing. Okay, so what they say is, for every um, you know, for every dollar we take off of you now, um, so someone like me, a perfect example, someone like me, we have an X amount of employees, have an X amount of turnover, I would pay 0.5% whatever of my payroll. So for me, it was like £600,000 a year. So that's a £600,000 a year hit to my bottom line. But what they're saying is, no, 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 if you invest that in apprenticeships, we will allow you to keep that and we'll give you 10% on top. So on the face of it, for someone like me, that looks really good. So I'm now going to, I'm spending about £700,000 a year, so I can now spend that 600000 and the government will give me 100000 right? Then you need the small print. And in the small print, they will only allocate you money back from the money you paid for the part of the apprenticeship when they attend college, right? 
So I was only getting 20% of the 600 grand that I paid back. But what happened was, it was a Klondike overnight for training companies. Right, so suddenly everyone's running in saying, we can train this for you, we can do this. So what they didn't understand is, that a normal, if you take the, all the trades in the building trade, apprenticeship is learning at college as your, as your theory and your practical is four days a week out with a plumber or joiner at Brickley or whatever. That was deemed as not part of the payback of the six hundred grand. So I don't. I've never heard. I've never met anyone that, apart from training companies, that thought that the apprentice. And I can. I can tell you this, which is sad. It actually reduced the amount of apprenticeships that we had. Oh dear. I mean, you you should go on to the Scottish government, Willie, because they seem to have the power to sculpt their own system. Yeah. And, and goodness, you know exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah. If I could just make a point, which I made last week about, I was happy to pay more income tax to help the health service. Scotland does, if you're a single person earning 50,000 in Scotland, you're going to pay about another £1,500 than if you were living in England. So I said I was happy to do it. One caveat, I'm happy to do it as long as the government is spending my money appropriately. Are we getting value for money? Do we have a better education system? Do we have a better health service? Because £1,500 out of fifty grand is quite a big differential, Willie. And I don't want folk going to say, I'm not going to live in Scotland, I'm going to go to England. I mean, I'll never do that, but some people might. And the second point I would really like to see, and it goes to employment, Willie, is down in England, they've decided to... Um, elongate the stamp duty holiday and through the Barnet Consequentials 1.2 billion coming from Westminster to Scotland the Scottish Government don't really like that but we need to get the housing market going so that building companies can take on apprentices etc etc so I'm really keen to see how the Scottish Government take this money and put it to work for the good of Scotland. And I think Kate Forbes, who has proven to be you know, very good in the role that she's in, I'm sure that Kate, is, who's clever, will look at this now and that hopefully that the government, are, the Scottish government, are looking at ways and means that maybe where the UK government have, have, have lost out here. I take it we didn't get a call back from Kate or anybody. I, I think they were busy this week, Willie. I think they've been busy. Well, let's keep the positivity up if we can, um, because we're now going to be joined by Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, for a round-up of what's making the news in the Chamber this month. Good morning, Stuart. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a critical fortnight in the crisis recovery plan for businesses in uh, Glasgow. We've had the, the the two lockdown exit roadmaps and, of course, we've had the UK budget. So I've been listening to members over the uh, past month, every week, what, how are Glasgow businesses reacting to what they have heard? Um, and I'll give you some bad news, I'll give you some good news, and there's a little bit that's mixed in between. Excellent. The oh, bad news. Some good news to cheer people up. Uh, well, this I thought I would start with the bad news and then finish with the good news. Good idea, give sure. Go for it, um, the, the bad news column. Um, well, the biggest member ask over the last month has been a clear roadmap. And uh, not dates, they weren't asking for dates, they were asking for milestones. And undoubtedly, the Scottish roadmap disappointed on that front. Um, no clarity, really, for the most affected businesses in hospitality and leisure and tourism and aviation. Um, they were 
actually angry, I think would be the right word to use when they were comparing the Scottish and the English roadmaps. Um, the best we can look forward to, I suspect, in Glasgow is uh, back into a third tier uh, under the old tiering system, although we've got to wait and see what adjustments might yet yeah, be made. Yeah, the third to... tier's like full lockdown. Yeah, it? well, I mean, in the, the third tier is very restrictive, if you, especially on businesses in the city centre. Um, you've got no nighttime economy because everything has to close by six o'clock. You've got no alcohol. You've got no travel across local authority boundaries, but I, which is very bad for retail. But we did hear the First Minister suggest that perhaps the boundaries would be taken at health board level rather than at local authority level. And that would make a big step towards tackling that issue for retail. Uh, Greater Glasgow Health Board is a big uh, geographical area. So it's a, that would be a step in the right direction. Um, but of course, no clarity either on the return to the office, which is fundamental for so many businesses that operate out of, uh, out of the city centre. But it also leaves our airport absolutely in limbo. Um, I think the the most angry response was coming from uh, Glasgow Airport's uh, owners, AGS. Absolutely no clarity in what the philosophy is about international travel. Um, are we going to go down a route that says every variant suggests that we're going to need uh, international border closures or are we going to be a little bit more trusting of how the vaccines uh, are rolling out for us and that they're going to handle the variants over time? And I, I think I was particularly struck by uh, Dr uh, Andrew Pollard's comments about can we just stop you know, worrying so much about variants because it is uh, undermining our confidence in what the vaccine is I really like to his achieve. comments, Stuart. Yeah. First, first class. So we still need a, a roadmap in Scotland beyond April. We, we, uh, we've got an election to come as well before that, so we don't really know what the Scottish perspective is going to be after uh, 26th of April. Sure, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that we've got an election coming up and obviously a lot of people out there are disappointed in the, in the roadmap or lack of it. But it's really, really interesting. It was hinted that the restrictions may be lifted for the canvassing for the for the election. So people out there who believe that a lot of the uh, decisions and announcements have been made have all been political, they are certainly fuel for the fire. <laughs> that has been noticed, I think, is one way of putting it. I certainly think if you're a business sitting, saying it's okay for the politicians to do what they do during this pandemic, but it's not okay for businesses, that, that's ridiculous. On the mixed news uh, list, um, yeah, we've all been discussing corporation tax, uh, up a, a whopping 6% uh, to 25% in 2023. But I do think a lot of businesses are paying attention to what the 130% capital allowances for two years might actually Very mean. Very good. Um, in boosting investment. But of course, what qualifies will be the real test of that? Is it just plant and machinery or will a wider range of assets be uh, eligible for that? And remember, Stuart, the corporation tax, there's about one and a half million smaller businesses making 50,000 or less are exempt from it. 19% stays and then it's tapered up to about 250,000 a profit. Absolutely. Um, that is uh, definitely uh, helpful for the SME community, no question about that. Um, another wee uh, mixed news item was the announcement of the free ports um, across England. Um, yes. And we're obviously asking the question, would a free port 
be a boost to the Clyde if we were to bid successfully for one. And uh, that has perhaps become even more urgent as an issue because Liverpool has now been designated as a free port. Do you think your members or do you think Glasgow would benefit from that? I think some of the members are very keen. I know uh, a couple of the members like Clyde Port and Glasgow Airport would particularly like to see a free port bid successful for uh, for Glasgow, for, for the Clyde, uh, Greater, Greater Glasgow, I should say. But um, the questions remain, uh, will the Scottish and UK government come to agreement about the the link between what the Scottish government has announced, green ports, which are slightly different from free ports, will the UK government go with that? Uh, and can there be two free ports in Scotland to stop us having a good old bun fight about who gets one in the West and who gets one in the East? Can we have one? Can we have two, please? And that way we can avoid that, that issue. That would be great but so mixed news in there because there's a wee hint of a threat if we don't have a free port status on the Clyde but some good news and to the, end with some positive upbeat news the, and Stuart. the good news would be um, obviously the, the COVID business support extension is good news and uh, the fact that it's extended to the end of September notwithstanding the fact that there's employer contributions uh, required for July, August and, and September. That does, of course, put extra pressure on the Scottish Government to make sure that their reopening roadmap does coalesce with uh, how the Treasury is going to wind down um, job retention uh, scheme support. Obviously, similarly helpful to see the um, extension of the grants for self-employment support um, and the VAT cuts for hospitality. Uh, that's also good news. Also, as Tom was saying earlier, the Scottish Government's extension of uh, business rates relief for hospitality, tourism, leisure and aviation. Um, we're waiting to see how the how the cash grants, restart grants will play out in Scotland. It looks like they will do that um, because they had suggested in their uh, Scottish budget that they would. Um, and then finally... The Metro being uh, awarded uh, priority status by the Scottish Government. Uh, that's something we've been fighting for, at least a connection to Glasgow Airport for public transport. We've been fighting, fighting for that for years. Right, I uh, missed that, Stuart. Uh, so, yep, that, right. has been, that has been given uh, a, a big tick oh. by the Scottish Government as a potential priority project. Well, well, fingers crossed that goes ahead because I've been reporting on it for uh, almost two decades, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Stuart. But coming up next, we'll be chatting to Eddie Hawthorne, boss of Arnold Clark. Don't forget, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Are you a business owner paying high merchant service transaction rates? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We pride ourselves on offering quick, simple, affordable card payment solutions. Perfect for everyday businesses just like yours. Call now on 01698 478883 and take advantage of our exceptional prices. Faster payment solutions with Clark Epos UK Limited. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Welcome back as we put the spotlight on the boss of Arnold Clark. Don't forget, if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterAndHockey. Eddie Hawthorne is Chief Executive and Group Managing Director of the Arnold Clark Group. 
Europe's leading independently owned car retailer. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Good morning, Donald. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you. If I can go back, Eddie, Sir Arnold Clark founded the company in 1954 with a wee showroom in Glasgow. There are now 200 sites, if I'm right, across the UK. But I want to talk about Sir Arnold for a wee bit because you work with him. In your opinion, what characteristics or approach made him such a success? Oh, how long have you got, Donald? I mean, basically, um, I would probably say he was one of the... The, the true entrepreneurs of Scotland. Um, he was focused, determined, never took no for an answer. Um, and just, uh, if you had a problem, he would just brush it aside and, and focus. But I think his his view was, genuinely he started his business. He, he, worked, in, uh, he worked in hospitality in East End of Glasgow and, and he had a lot of people from the meat markets in Glasgow that he employed as drivers to go and collect some cars for him at the weekend. So he was he, he had a finger in every pie at, uh, at an early age. But I genuinely think uh, you know, it is that connection with people that he had. I mean, I, I, you probably have a lot of listeners that um, bought a car from Arnold Clark and he would remember that person and he would remember that car. And that was that was a, a gift that he had. He actually remembered everybody. So it was the it was the founding principle of the business. You know, genuine value for money, and try and give everybody the highest level of customer service. Well, certainly growing from that. And when I was researching uh, before chatting to you, I couldn't actually believe the size now of the Arnold Clark Group. More than eleven and a half thousand employees, generating an annual turnover of three billion. How did that scale and expansion come about? Donald, can I just interrupt for a second? Because I think this is a really important point. We've got two of Scotland's number one and two private sector employers with us today. These guys have built amazing businesses. I know Eddie took over from Sir Arnold, but this is an important point. The jobs that are in Arnold Clark and City are absolutely crucial to Scotland, and I want to take my hat off to these guys. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Well, I mean, <laughs> it kind of crept up on us, Donald. To be perfectly honest, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's genuinely the business. The business started growing in the early sixties and seventies, but we really, we really put our foot to the floor in the nineties. Uh, and I and I have to say that Arnold decided at that stage you were either a, of a meaningful size or you weren't. And whilst we were a household name in Scotland, and uh, I know many people have our iconic yellow and black stickers in the back of their car, we didn't have too many of that in England. So 1994 was uh, was the time we we, uh, we went down to England and crept over Hadrian's Wall and they've still no noticed us yet. <laughs> <laughs> Your company's still growing rapidly. How big do you want to become? And are you not frightened by that kind of scale? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think if you've got good people around you, as Tom said, you know, we've got fantastic employees and, you know, Willie will be the same. You know, it's your employees that make your business. So if you've got good people around you, you shouldn't be frightened of any size. Um, but it's not about size. Um, it's more about um, ambition. We're trying to be uh, a transport provider of the future. And uh, genuinely, at the moment, you know, before he passed away in 
a couple of years ago, I promised Arnold we'd break 300,000 cars a year, which we didn't quite do before he passed away, but we've now smashed that. So we're oh, now doing about 325,000. So my ambition is to get us to half a million cars a year. Donald, right. I remember going to Sir Arnold's funeral, um, which was an amazing occasion, sad obviously, but there was a, a moment at when we all walked out of Glasgow Cathedral and the hearse had an Arnold Clark yellow sticker at the back of it. And I just thought, brilliant. Across all your dealerships, is there any sort of common criteria in the way that you operate that makes them so successful? I think that, I think there's there's a couple of things there, really, Donald. I mean, we we have a we have an IT system that we put in from day one, and we make sure that everybody's adhering to that. That means that everybody in the organisation knows what's going on. But then it's more about people management. It's about management by walkabout. And I learned this from Arnold a long time ago: is that you walk in the back of the dealership and you learn more about what's going on than when if you walk in the front. And I'm sure you're the same, Willie. You know, you just manage by walkabout. It's a wee bit difficult at the moment, but it's uh, it's that's that's the the criteria. And being open and being allowing your staff to come and tell you things. Don, can I just make a point? It's interesting in, in a couple of, last couple of comments from Eddie. First, it was about Arnold and the people and knowing the people you sell to. And then Eddie's made the point about the people, the people who work for him and, and key people. This is a people business that sells cars, right? And, and every business out there, Tom makes this point every week. It's about the people, and it's the people that you make in the journey. And I think, you know, the success of that Eddie's just outlined for Arms business is all about people. Good point. Indeed. About people, but part of your success, or you individually would go to visit these dealerships, and as you've just mentioned, pandemic makes it more difficult. How have you adapted to the pandemic and and then how do you see the future for the car business as we emerge from it? Oh, two easy questions there, Don. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would say, um, take the first one, how have we adapted? Uh, well, not very well from a personal point of view. I mean, management by walkabout is what I do. And uh, I think if you ask my secretary, she's, she, she would be delighted as soon as I can get out of her head <laughs> office, the better for her. Um, uh, we have obviously used Teams meetings, like many, many businesses have adapted to that. And, uh, and, I, and I genuinely do think, you know, that that's, it's, it's a great way of communicating with your people when you're restricted from travel. It also means that I'm never late for a meeting now, um, you know, which I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm renowned for. Um, but the downside is you miss that personal touch. You miss the personal touch of being able to talk to the staff in a, in a wee bit more detail. Yeah, I think Tom mentioned about creativity, you know, meeting people. Tom? Um, Eddie, I'd, I'd just like to thank Arnold Clark, firstly, for your huge support of the Kilt Walk. It's absolutely amazing. If you register for the Kilt Walk coming up on the weekend of the 23rd, 24th, 25th of April, you've got a chance to win a brand new car, courtesy of Arnold Clark. I don't think there's anyone in the world you can do this, Willie. And that's courtesy of Arnold Clark, so thank you. My question Eddie, is I've kind of watched and I've saw how the family deal with the passing of Arnold and you're the front man now, but there seems to be a huge charitable heart beating loudly in Arnold Clark. What's, what's, what's driving this, do you think, now, Eddie? 
I think, I mean, Tom, you know, firstly, uh, just going back to the Kilt Walk, I mean, it's a great charity. It, is, it covers the whole of Scotland and, and the platform's phenomenal. So, you know, we're really proud to be, be in it and I'd give as many cars away as possible if we could just get some more people to <laughs> to, to sign up. Um, and you can careful, give me that. careful what you say, Eddie. Maybe yeah, edit you, you that, that out. Ten, ten <laughs> later. Um, but 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 genuinely, um, with uh, with the community, uh, community is one of the values of the business. Arnold was very keen on community. The family are very keen on community. We live in Scotland. We we're from Scotland. We're from the west of Scotland. Uh, our heart is here. Um, and genuinely, our customers are here and we give back to the community. The customers make our business and if we if we make a wee bit of money, we give back. And we've tried to do that as we go into England and, and anywhere where we have our branches, uh, we do. We try and give a little bit back and, and to be fair, um, it's working. Brilliant. Yeah, for years and years, you know, the, 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 the name Arnold Clark, it, there was never a no when you went to Arnold Clark or as Eddie in the last few years for help with any charity. And, and again, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a great testimony to, to the family that they have kept that going. And, and Arnold Clark brand is renowned for its philanthropy as, as much as it is for its selling cars. Brilliant. Well, Arnold Clark is a well-established family business and obviously an iconic one at that. But it brings with it for you, Eddie, some real responsibilities. But what are the challenges of managing a kind of family business and something so iconic? And what are the benefits as well, too? Well, the benefits, if we, there are no real downsides, to be perfectly honest, Arnold. The benefits, the benefits are really quite simple. I have a, a, a small number of shareholders who are highly engaged and uh, as long as you keep them informed of what's happening, they come along for the journey and they're quite happy to, to see the success of the business. And it works really well because I, I speak to Lady Clark every week. Communication's the key. As long as my boss, she knows what I'm, uh, I'm up to, then she's quite happy. Um, and, and genuinely, I think that's the, the important thing. I know for the family, as long as the business is run on the same founding principles that their dad uh, put in, they're quite happy. Looking ahead, let's come back, post-pandemic, people are maybe got used to buying cars without going to a showroom. How are you going to change? What, how do you see the future of the car and retail industry? Well, to be fair, Don, I mean, this, this you could have me chatting about this for ages because it's uh, what a topic it is. But genuinely, um, I think we're an omni-channel business. Now, what do I mean by omni-channel? There are people who won't buy unless they get a test drive. There'll be people who won't buy unless they, you know, they, they can come and try. You can't test a seat from an internet picture. And Indeed. it's a big, big purchase. So there's still a requirement for, I think, post-pandemic, the, uh, the physical showrooms. And I think a lot of people would like to peruse and, and see what they're buying. But you're right. I mean, ease of business. People, time poor these days. So ease of business. Let's make it, let's make that journey really simple. And we've got a, we've got a, a simple thing in our organization, which is DPD. And it's not a wee plug for the delivery people. It's, <laughs> it's, um, digital, physical, digital. Our, our customers can start their journey online. They can, 
they can do most of the paperwork online um, and then they come into the, the, the showroom because I genuinely believe buying a car, we should be personable, we should be there and we should be there for people if there's a problem. So we've, we've invested in product geniuses, you know, younger individuals. There's about 400 of them around the business and they just basically tell you what the cars can do. They're not there to sell anything, they're there to help. And that was one of the things that Arnold was very keen on is that we help people to buy cars or rent cars or lease cars or whatever. And then at the end, we take you back into the digital journey because nobody really wants lots of paper hanging around these days. So we put it all back on your iPhone or your iPad and all your paperwork and documentation is all there for you. And you can contact us and book in for servicing. And, and it's all about you know, taking that, that new environment, but making sure it's personal. Eddie, sorry, Eddie, can I ask you a question? The product geniuses... If, you, if you're asking them crystal ball time, put them in the spot, when do you think the day will come when you sell more electric cars than, than petrol or diesel? 2027. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You've thought about it. There you go. 2027, I think, is probably the time, Willie. It's, you know, I think I mentioned to you, we opened our new innovation centre down in, down in the Clyde and it's, it's five product genies and two, two managers and all the electric cars and petrol hybrids and diesel hybrids. And it's just there to, as a showpiece for people to understand the technology because it is, there's a lot of anxiety on a number of factors but they're there. Um, and as, as the manufacturers come out with better products, 2027, 20, 28 is when we're going to start. I see a massive shift. Brilliant. And in terms of the cost of our electric cars, are we going to see it move down to encourage that growth? You'll always get the best deal at Arnold Park. Oh, well done, Eddie. Well done. <laughs> Great plug in there. So, you know, you know, just talking to Castle, Arnold Clark, when he left the RAF, he used his DMOB cash to buy a Morris 10 for just 70 <laughs> quid. Uh, he sold it for profit and then started buying and selling cars. But I'm going to ask you, what was your first car and what was your favourite car to drive, Eddie? My first car was a Vauxhall Cavalier. Um, bought from Arnold at Allison Street. <laughs> um, and uh, I got a good deal, I'm sure. I hope. Uh, I hope. Um, but genuinely, I think um, yeah, I would just take a leaf out of Arnold's book. The best car that I've ever driven is the one I'm driving just now because I'm trying to sell it, Donald. <laughs> <laughs> Willie? My first car, I bought a Austin Cambridge column change wow. uh, for £20. Great story about it. Never knew anything about cars. Just passed my test. And I lived in Tory Glen right beside Hamden at the time. Decided to take it for a spin to the weekend. And I was going down Prospect Hill Road and there was a game on at Hamden. And I pulled into the garage. There was a service station there at the time. And while I was in the garage, two um, police came in on the motorbikes <laughs> and said to me, uh, we drive your car off the forecourt and out onto the road here. This is true. And I said, why? He goes, well, this tire's... Baldy, this tire's baldy, this tire's baldy, this tire's baldy. And I remember saying to the car, I didn't know it was supposed to be hairy, right? And he <laughs> says, no, just drive it outside, right? This is true. And a wee guy about 17 or 18 who worked in the garage come running out and said to me, don't drive that outside. I says, why? He says, because they cannot do you for you're on the forecourt. <laughs> so I don't need to See tell you, I didn't drive it outside. This radio show, Donald. 
You'd never get a car like that. Uh, so that was, my, that was my first Hopefully not, Donald. Right. Hopefully not. And I'll tell you when I got rid of it, when I was on the M8 doing 70 mile an hour and it went into reverse itself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that's the best way to end this, but you know, <laughs> thank you very much, Eddie, for coming in to talk to us. It's great to see you, Eddie. All the very best. Yep, thank you. Eddie, John. brilliant. Thank you so much and, and good luck to you, Arnold Clark, going forward. Great story. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Coming up next is the board you can't afford with Hunter in Hockey and don't forget if you want some business insight or have a general business question for Tom and Willie you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk or join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterinhockey The board you couldn't afford This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with business advice, insight and inspiration. It's the board you can't afford. Don't forget, if you have questions you want read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag GoHunterInHockey. We're going directly to our phone lines now and first up, is Evelyn Walker, who's the founder and director of Walker Gordon Associates Limited. Welcome to the show, Evelyn. Thank you so much, Donald. Really appreciate that. And thank you so much, Willie and Tom, for taking my call. It's very kind of you. Welcome, Evelyn. Hello, Evelyn. So what would you like to ask the guys here? Uh, Well, I would like to maybe just uh, give some background, if that's okay, to my question. As I work closely with startups and scale-up companies, and there's so much emerging talent, creativity, and innovation coming through, especially in the emerging ed tech and health tech sectors. So from a remote perspective, they have been continually adapting and working through their innovative designs, products and services. And last week, Lily and Tom, you mentioned that sometimes, especially in creative sectors, we really do need that human interaction in order to spark our ideas. So my question to you both would be, what advice would you give to these innovative and creative companies in order to continue with this momentum as they move forward towards a more hybrid approach of returning back into the office or their design labs and continuing to work remotely? Great question. I think Willie's keen to come in. Hi. Yes, Evelyn. Um, I can I can talk from you about experience here. When we set up the Entrepreneurial Spark that what seemed to happen, although we had 60 startup businesses uh, in one big room, you know, of about 12,000 square foot, I did notice that the creative industries all seemed to call us in the one part, you know, so they ended up having their own wee corner. And, and I, again, we've mentioned it in weeks before, I think the best thing that you can do here is the collaboration and the networking and working together and see what other people in the same field are doing. Um, you know, we, we would find that there was someone here a really creative, good idea, but they had no idea about marketing. And then they'd be talking to these guys over here who maybe their product was not as good, but they had a really good marketing idea or they're a really good marketing guy. And what we managed to do is a kind of like a jigsaw puzzle and we would take people from various businesses, try and put them together. We've put two businesses together before to make a success. So I, I think the best advice I could give them at this stage would be to, you know, get that network net opened up, meet more people, talk to more people in your industry, learn more about the industry that you're in, have more, you know, get data that you can. And, and I say, you know, try and, you know, network. 
Yeah, um, Evelyn, it's, it's Tom here. I think um, we we spoke about it last week, and in the creative industries, this personal interaction is just there's just no substitute. Absolutely. Um, of of course, you can use Microsoft Teams or Zoom, but it is just not the same. Some jobs can be done that way, some admin jobs, etc. But in the creative industries, and and just it, it, explain to me what your business does, Evelyn. It's really uh, building strategic frameworks and culture and values. So really, especially right. ensuring that culture and values are maintained with the current team as new team members come on. Yeah. So, I mean, you will understand more than anybody the importance of when we can get together. And it is coming. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. data this week I've been looking at, the vaccines oh. are a true miracle and there is real optimism. So um, good luck with your business I hope it's a real success and you can maybe come back on and let us know how it's going once we get opened up. Oh, I'd like to do that and thank you so much for being so good advice. Thank Absolutely. you, Evelyn. Thank you. All the best. Nice, good luck. Evelyn. Good luck. Thank good you. Luck. Bye-bye. Next up, we've got Susan Wilson, who's the owner of The Real Laundry Company. Welcome to the show, Susan. What's your question for Tom and Willie? Okay. During the past year, my laundry business has changed dramatically and I've gained lots of new work from the community. An example of that being the hospital patients due to the no visitor rule, but to name a few. But our bread and butter business, um, washing iron and dry cleaning, etc., has almost ceased. However, the biggest shift um, in that has been cash flow and increased use of cards and back payments, which has led to almost no cash being used. And any cash that comes through is likely from the elderly community and those who don't have bank accounts or debit cards. So my question really is, how does the panel feel and project the future of the cashless high street? And how will this forecasted possible projection affect everyday sales of like buying a pint or tipping the taxi driver, etc.? Great question, Tom. Wow, Susan, did a nice easy question for a Sunday morning. My goodness. Um, <laughs> what are you thinking? I mean... I, I did notice in Rishi Sunak's budget that he'd put up the contactless um, limit from, I think it was £40 to £100. So I think we are going towards the cashless society, but I think it will take some time. And I don't, I wouldn't want MD excluded from buying anything from my business because you know, they only had cash. No, <laughs> I mean, that, of course. that that would be a real problem, turning down cash. I've, I've never did that in my life, Susan. So, um, but I think it's coming. Um, I think it's probably a good thing because um, I, I remember in the days when we used to take a lot of cash through the sports business, it cost us a lot of money to handle cash. Um, the bank's charges for, for handling cash, whereas if somebody's paying you by card, etc., it's straight into your bank account clean etc so I would say as ever it's a blended thing that, that's going to happen but keep taking the cash <laughs> really? Yeah. Susan I would say that uh, I really got my eyes opened up when I've, when I've been travelling abroad I remember as far back as 10 years ago I was in Disney World and I went into a restaurant my family and I went to pay the bill with cash <laughs> and the lady looked at me, you know, as if I had horns growing out my head. <laughs> and she says, um, well, I don't think we'll have anything to give you change with. <laughs> right? And I said, well, no, just 
just keep the change. And I'd have to say that when it, when I was in the States, you know, as recently as last year, before the lockdown, um, I was amazed to see the people, you know, 12 people in the queue in front of me in Starbucks, all buying stuff less than $2 and all paying with their, their yeah. contactless cards. So I, I think that uh, to catch up with the rest of the world, I think we're, we're going to see, uh, I think, a quantum in, in the, on the contactless system here. So, but I, like Tom, I still think we'll be using cash for a, for a lot longer, but, but I think we'll be using much, much less. And how do you see it, Susan? Um, I, I think I will always accept cash. I'm an old-fashioned girl myself. I like having <laughs> money in my purse. <laughs> I quite like green notes and red notes in there. Red notes are the best, Susan. What, what's a red note? They are indeed. It's a big hundred pound note. I love it. Oh, <laughs> Donald, Donald, Donald would know that. It works for the Heralds. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wouldn't, limit, I wouldn't limit my market. I would always, obviously accept cash. There's always the cost of processing, um, like Tom had said. Yeah. But... Um, there are still people out there who only deal with cash. My father's a 93-year-old man and he will not even have a direct debit from his account. So, brilliant, brilliant. And then there's the other thing that we don't get to vote on technology changing us, so we do have to go with it. I accept that. But I see like Sweden are like stepping into more cashless than Scotland. But I do think it's dangerous to say no to cash. Quite well, right. Hopefully it still exists in some form. Uh, thank you for the call, Susan. Are you happy with the advice? Indeed I am. Thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Susan. Good luck, Susan. OK. Cheers. OK, take care, take care now. Bye. Our next caller is John Alexander, Chief Executive of Alexander's Community Development. Welcome to our show, John. Good morning there, Tom, Bully, Donald. Morning. Uh, morning. Uh, morning, John. Yeah, just... See, we're a community organisation based up in Dundee. Uh, our aims are upskilling young people and retaining talent, creating jobs. We're a proactive, proactive solutions. And there was a good post in the Herald about the attainment features. Oh, nice plug. That, but that previously, pre-COVID, the attainment gap was big. What COVID's done has made it a lot, lot bigger. And they say, I think we need to be proactive coming out of COVID with the next pandemic of mental health and employability. Willie? Yeah, we agree. We've mentioned this in the last few weeks, you know, that um, obviously no one's been happy with the lockdown, but I think the fallout of the pandemic will linger for a long, long time and a huge part of that will be about employment and about upskilling. So I think that, um, you know, the, the time lost over the last you know, 12 months now, I think we'll have to work very, very hard to make sure that we fill that gap or, as you say, the attainment gap will increase. Yeah, um it's, it's Tom here, John. Um, Hi, Tom. The Hunter Foundation, we're great supporters of community businesses. One of the things that has happened during the pandemic is, is people are helping folk in their local community because they can't travel. And yeah. it's amazing the amount of people who are willing to help. And listen, the people at Dundee are, are lucky to have you and, and what you're doing up there because I think it's essential. And I just don't want this community spirit to be lost when we are out of lockdown so good on you son yeah keep up a good work John I totally agree with you what Covid's gave was gave the community spirit back and it, and it 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what we need today. When we lost, we're waving a wee bit for that for a while, and I totally agree. Yep. All right. John, you talk about the DAC factor, and I've just been uh, looking at your, yeah, the work that you do with young people. Do you want to maybe explain Tom and Willie? Because I think it's uh, quite interesting and a little bit inspirational. Yeah, from the building sector, I've got 20 years within that. And we've worked with apprentices, and I've never looked or I've never took on people with CVs, with A's and B's and that. To me, it's the dark factor, it's the drive, the attitude and the confidence, the oh, knowledge and skills brilliant. we could teach us. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, John. Um, when we were are recruiting, you know, you have a quick look at qualifications, but the yep. biggest thing is you look someone in the eye and you get a feel for them. Yep. Um, so, well done you. Yeah, that factor is how everybody should look to employ somebody. That's the matrix. There you go. Yeah, well done. Tom, well Tom done. and Willie well and Jorson, you there, John. I've got a last question, if I could just nip in before I go. No problem. On you go. We know it's the board we can't afford, but I've got a place on my board for the three years. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want me anywhere near it, trust me. Well, listen, big Chris van der Kiel. Chris van der Kiel would be jumping in me and Tom if we take up positions yeah, in Dundee. Give him a phone. No, <laughs> yeah, Chris isn't doing much up in Dundee right now. Yeah. He's plenty of time and money, so... <laughs> well, I've spoken to Chris and Chris knows there's a place here for him always eh? uh, I'd like to thank you for your time eh? you're yeah, welcome uh, good luck good well, luck John well, good John, luck good work thank you. John keep on doing what you're doing you. all the best there's been no parrot stories this week, Donald. I don't know. Has is, is anybody got any animal stories, Willie? No. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, two two stories from last week's programme. Um, someone phoned me and asked me if we could ask um, Professor Chris if it was an Ace Ventura that he got to get the parrot back. <laughs> and also, I got a text from a good friend of mine, uh, John Maguire, of Maguire Car Sales, uh, and saying to me, I don't want any more of that nonsense about getting cars off the road on a Friday <laughs> Mr Angry from Nielsen yeah. that's him yeah. great calls and great questions for all the details you need about today's show and information and how you can get involved and connect visit thisisgo.co.uk don't forget you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag gohunterandhockey the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. With Clark Epos UK Limited. Faster payment solutions for everyday businesses. Fed up paying increasingly high gas and electricity bills for your business? The team at Clark Epos UK Limited are here to help. We scour the market to find you the best deals possible. Just send us your latest bills and leave the rest to us. Our customers are hardworking every day businesses just like yours Clark Kipos UK Limited call today on 01698 478 883 and start saving right now